Genesis chapter 12, I believe it's found in your pew Bible on page 8 or 9, something about that area. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We began a sermon series last week looking at the life of Abraham and Sarah, and we discovered last week that Abraham and Sarah turn out to be the most significant figures of ancient history. Because through this one couple, God initiated his unstoppable work of grace. The Lord said, go from your country, and I will bless you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God set in motion this unstoppable work of his grace. All the way 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago today, Matthew 1, verse 1, the verse first verse of the New Testament says this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, David, the son of Abraham. Through their family line, through their seed, came living, redeeming grace, culminating in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Through Christ, all the peoples of the earth, of every tribe and every nation, can find New life. Abraham is called the father of faith and a friend of God throughout Scripture. Now, if that's all we knew about Abraham, this moniker moniker of father of faith and friend of God, we might be mistaken to think that his faith was somehow far better than ours, somehow supernatural, somehow morally and, and in every which way higher and better than what you and I experience in our day-to-day walk with the Lord. But that would not be true. The truth is, Abram, whose name is later changed by the Lord to Abraham, was no different from you and me. We'll see that this morning. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he writes this, All those who find New life in Christ Jesus, that's all of us who who are Christians, all of us follow in the same footsteps of faith that Abraham and Sarah walked, weak and strong alike. We share in this, and you'll see this in the story. We'll see high points this morning where they're walking by faith, and we will see low points. Low points where, where they make terrible, terrible blunders. Because they're real people, just like you and me. But the good news is God's plan for your life, his unstoppable grace that's unfolding for the world, cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. And that's good news for us this day and on this anniversary. So would you please join me now as I read to us the word of God, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, at the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a, a, you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt, dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, and male, uh, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, in in the moments that we have this morning to turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would speak through me a word that is helpful. God, this scene happened 4,000 years ago, and yet, Lord, I believe you have a word for us today. And so, living God, we invite you to come, move among us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord commands them to go and promises to bless them. And in verse 4 it says, So Abram left as the Lord had told him. That's walking by faith. That's taking the right steps of faith. We looked at Hebrews 11.8. It said, Abram obeyed and went out, not knowing where he was going. Isn't that faith in a nutshell? He obeyed, he went out not knowing where he was going. They're headed in the right direction, right? But now, this is why I want you to keep your Bibles open, because something very interesting happens right after the call, right after they leave. Look, look there, in verse 4, it says, And Lot went with him. Whenever you see Lot's name in this story, it's trouble. Just so you know, whenever you see Lot poke his head up, something, uh uh-oh, is going to happen. Abram packs up, he heads out, but he doesn't follow God's orders exactly. 
He fudges a bit, he, j- just a smidge. The Lord said, leave your country, check. Leave your kindred, check. Leave your father's house. That means leave your extended family. But Lot is Abram's nephew. He's part of his father's household. What is Lot doing in this journey? Now, God promised to make Abram a great nation. What do you need to make a great nation? People, right? First and foremost, you need a lot of people. But Abram has no descendants. He has no offspring. And, and Sarai, we read here, she, she is barren. She cannot have children. So what does Abram do? He decides to help God out. He decides to hedge his bets a bit. He, he decides to trust his own instinct. He thinks, well, certainly God didn't mean this. And so Abram decides to take along a little insurance policy in the form of Lot. Abram thinks that he's helping God out. He, he thinks this is just a small, nuanced change, but, but it's worse than a blatant disobedience. Because God didn't ask for help. God doesn't need his help. What does God ask for? He asks for obedience, to take him at his word. He says, Abram, trust me. Trust me and trust my plan. But the world is still paying the price for the wrong steps of Abraham and Sarah that we will see in the weeks to come. Don't we do this in our own faith? In our own faith journey, don't we do this? We know clearly what it is we're to do. Scripture lays it out absolutely clearly, plain as day, crystal clear, and yet we want to fudge it a bit. We want to justify things. Think, well, certainly God doesn't mean that. Certainly not all of me, part of me I'm to give, but, but all of myself, all that I have to the Lord. Don't we do this? We take a step of faith, but then we shuffle our feet a bit. We want to take out a little insurance policy just to make sure that we really are secure, that we really are safe. Now, thankfully, in Abraham's case, Abraham's case you'll hear me going back and forth, Abram, Abraham, Abram, Abraham, because the name changes in a couple of chapters, so bear with me. Thankfully, in Abram's case, he gets a whole lot of grace, a big dollop of grace, and somehow, amazingly, by God's grace, they make it into the promised land. Look at verse 6. It says it's still occupied by the Canaanites. That's a little foreshadowing of problems yet to come. But they are in the promised land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, he's being very, very clear, isn't he? To your offspring, I will give this land. That's amazing. I, I, I've had some amazing mountaintop experiences where I, I've felt the presence of God, the Holy Spirit move in, in, in powerful, not auditory ways, but just in powerful ways. But it says the Lord appeared to Abram. That is pretty exceptional, isn't it? And so Abram responds by building an altar to the Lord, and, and he worships him there. He's taking all the right steps right here. He's walking by faith. The first patriarch in the promised land, building an altar to the living God, to Yahweh, 
and worshiping him there. So far, how's Abram doing on, on the score, score sheet? They've traveled a thousand miles. He's done some things right, not 100% right. He's not, he's not trusting God 100%, but, but he's, he's on the right path. He's heading the right direction. Things are looking up for Abram. And then what happens in verse 10? The first crisis. Now there was a famine in the land. And don't you want to say, when you're looking at the text, I, I want to say, okay, Abe, just wait a second. Think for just a minute. There's a famine. But you're in the promised land. You've got the God of the universe who's spoken to you. Now, now before you react... Think for just a moment. What is a shortage of a few resources when you've got the living God speaking directly to you? Now, don't make any hasty decisions. What does it say in the text? There's a famine. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn or, or, or to live, to live there, for the famine was severe in the land. What? The first crisis... And instead of waiting on God, who's gotten him this far, Abraham's own instinct, his fear, kicks in and he makes a a knee-jerk reaction. Do you think he's justified here? It was a severe famine, that's true. Abraham took everything into consideration in making his decision. Famines, bad. Food, good. Egypt, nice. He took everything into consideration, but God. He took everything into consideration except that maybe God has them there for a purpose. Have we ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever made a decision that made sense to you without waiting, without without discerning, without wondering, God, could could you be in this at this moment? Or were you so risk-adverse that you said, no, no, this, this can't be God's will because it hurts right now. I'm going to take a left. Well, that's what Abram did. God had taken care of them for a thousand miles, but with the first crisis, Abram doesn't even consider the possibility that God is in this. That God knows what he's doing, doing that the sovereign Lord is governing all things, that the Lord, as the Bible says, ordains all things. And that God has an unstoppable plan. Abram does what comes naturally. He trusts himself. And so he leads the people to Egypt, literally out of the promised land, out of the will of God. This this is what you're seeing in these few words right here. Someone who's afraid and out of instinct walks out of God's will. And he goes to Egypt. And how long is he going to be in Egypt? How long? Until the famine's over, right? You see, well, the promised land's always going to be there. Small groups, it'll be there. I've got a busy fall. It's a little plug for your small group. Don't we do that? I say, well, it'll be there when I come back. That's what Abram's doing. And, and now he's on a roll. Now he's on rule. Now Abram is fully trusting himself. And, and as they're about to cross the border uh, into Egypt, he turns to his beautiful wife, Sarah. He says, honey, you are so beautiful. If we were in the desert, I'd get you some flowers, 
But uh, listen, when we go into Egypt, they are going to see how beautiful you are. They'll all agree. And they'll want to get rid of me so that, so that something bad's going to happen to me. So tell them that you are my sister so that it will go well with me and my life will be spared. Now, what do you think of Abram, the father of faith, right now? Ladies? Think of the indignity. Think of Sarai. We don't know what she's thinking here, what she's saying, but, but you can imagine. Can you imagine the indignity of your husband saying, tell these Tell these, these men that you're my sister so it will go well with me. He knows what's going to happen. I imagine Sarah is left to wonder why. Why, God? Why, why is this happening? And we're left to say, Abram, what are you doing? You should be ashamed of yourself. Have, have you forgotten your marriage vows? Have you forgotten the call of God? You, you've brought the mother of the seed that will eventually lead to Christ, you've brought her into harm's way. What are you thinking? I imagine if this is how Abram operated for 75 years of life. Maybe he was a very successful businessman because he made these kinds of shrewd business decisions. I don't know. Now notice that Abram's lie is a half-truth. Sarai really is his sister. They have the same father. She is his half-sister. But using half the truth to conceal the other half is still clearly a lie, isn't it? He's technically right. And the plan works. The Egyptians see that she's beautiful. She's taken to the palace. And and our scripture that you're looking at, it says, into his house. She's taken into his, his harem. Verse 16, Abram is treated well for her sake. And he acquires livestock and more slaves and more wealth. Great job, Abram. Is God going to allow his child, Sarai, to suffer? No way. Verse 17, But the Lord inflicted Pharaoh and his house. God is the only gentleman in this story. God defends her honor and her dignity. Pharaoh is a total P-I-G pig, and, and yet at least Pharaoh figures it out. Before Abram, he, what, what were you thinking, Abram? Imagine years later, Abraham must have reflected on this scene and was very humbled by what he, do, by what he had done. But the Lord protects Sarai and, and gets them back on the right track, back towards the promised land. God's going to keep this plan on track, even if Abram takes him this step. And when they return to the promised land, and Abram is back in God's will where he belongs, what does he do? What does he do? He retraces his steps of faith. He retraces where his faith made sense. Look at Genesis 13. It says, He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made that first altar. And there Abram called 
upon the Lord. He ends up back where he built that first altar, back where things made sense. And he calls on the name of the Lord. Now he knows he has to trust God 100%. Now in the stories to come, it will be Sarai who fudges a bit and makes missteps, and Abram. But here, on this moment, Abram is taking the right steps of faith. Now we can learn a few things from Abram and Sarai from this story. I want to point a few of them out. From Abram, we can learn this. Too often in our decision-making, we toss up a quick prayer, or we don't even uh, consult God, and we just plow ahead. We take in all of all the factors. We consider all of the evidence except the most important one. Am I trusting and obeying and honoring my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he teaches me to do? God had taken care of Abe and Sarah for a thousand miles, but at the sign of the first crisis, he doesn't even consider that God can help. That God will just bless his plans. Second, being in the center of God's will is no guarantee that you won't face hard times. The temptation is to think, well, God can't be in this. Something's, something's amiss. I better let God know that this is hard. Without realizing that might be exactly where God wants you. Maybe that starved, dangerous place is exactly where we're supposed to be. Where we don't hedge our bets We don't try to take out insurance policies. We just trust. And Abram also teaches us that we must recognize our natural instinct in a crisis is fear. And fear distorts our vision and fuels our old tendencies to trust ourselves. Over 300 times in the Bible, it says, the Lord says, fear not. For fear robs us of faith. Out of fear, Abram acted too quickly. And he missed out on seeing what God could do in a crisis. We need the Holy Spirit to instill in us an instinct to wait before we worry. And to wait on the Lord. And Sarai has a lesson for us as well. I'll conclude with this. When we face a crisis, not not a, a moment's notice crisis, but when we're, it's lingering, when that news was settling in for her as they crossed the, the border into Egypt. When we face a crisis, when we feel our suffering, our instinct is to ask, why? Why me? Why, why our family? Why am I suffering, dear God? What have I done to deserve this? That can be for us as individuals or even as a nation, the questions that we ask. Why, God? Why is there sin? Why famine? Why abuse? Why 9-11? And while this is yet a mystery, we can say this. There are certain attributes of God we would never know if he hadn't allowed sin to enter the world. God's unstoppable work of grace would not be the same without sin. We wouldn't need grace. We'd already have everything we need. We never know certain things about who God is that he has revealed to us 
because of sin and because of suffering. For instance, we never know the redeeming love of God that we celebrate and sing every Sunday. We sing about the redeeming love of God uh, and at the cross, the person of Christ, God's Son, who lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death we should have died, rising again to guarantee that in Christ we have new life. We would miss out on a huge part of who God is. What would we sing? We'd have nothing to sing. We could sing to our nation. We could sing for the crops, but we'd have nothing to sing about if it wasn't for the need of a Redeemer. And the remarkable mystery of God is this, that he uses sin and evil to show us more of who he is. Our pain is real, but God's plan is unstoppable. And finally, I'll leave you with this. The journey of faith takes place one day at a time. You see this with Abram. We can chart it up, high point, low point. High point, lots of low points, high points. It takes one day at a time. We need to choose to trust God afresh every day. Your decision to trust the Lord today will not sustain you tomorrow. So each day, heck, throughout the day sometimes, we need to come back to those altars that we've built. We need to come back to those places, those holy high mountain places and be reminded, God was faithful here. God showed me through this time. He showed my my father through this time. He showed my mother through this time. I've seen this in other people's lives. I know God will see us through this day too. Whatever you're facing, however you've blown it, whatever misstep out of God's will you've taken, call on the name of the Lord and he will lead you forward. Let's pray. Dear God, we give you thanks this morning for the reminder that people are people and that none of us are super Christians. None of us are perfect. Uh, God, we need your son. Lord Jesus, we need a savior. So we thank you for reminding us of that today. God, maybe even today would be that altar building day for some of us. For some of us here, We need to make a decision right now to say, I'm not going to hedge my bets anymore. I'm not going to hold back. I know what the Bible says. I know how clearly it's taught. I I see it in other people. I'm not going to make any more excuses. I'm going to be sold out for Jesus. We pray to that end, Lord. God, we pray on this anniversary for your protection over, over the nation. We think especially, God, of our capital and of our largest city in our land, we ask you, Lord, to protect, to guide, and to give wisdom and insight to our leaders. We thank you, O oh God, for, for our milestone firefighters and EMTs, God, our local heroes who put themselves on the line to, to serve and to care and to fend, to listen and to come alongside and to go into harm's way. And we ask you, God, to bless them. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for our family and friends. And Lord, even as this day is an anniversary of a dark day in our nation's life, in my own life, God, it's such a bright day. As my, it's my 17th anniversary 
to being married to my beautiful wife, Cheryl. I give you thanks for her and for our marriage. I ask you, God, to, to please heal her, her leg that is strained and her knee and her foot. And God, we lift up to you now in this quiet moment those not mentioned, those concerns not spoken of. And saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, it's our time to receive the morning tithes and offerings. Pray that you would do so with a joyful heart, giving back to God the portion that he has required of us and joyfully celebrating all that God is doing in and through Nielsville.